scriptures tonight. We're going to be in many different places, but I invite you to, to go to our first um, <clears throat> text, which is in Psalm chapter 24. Psalm chapter 24. Tonight we're going to be continuing our series of Where Did It Go? Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about a little bit of a different thing that we would think of. Don't, not, don't normally, it's not usually the first thing that comes to mind when you think of stewardship or stewarding or, or, or taking care of the things that God gives you, but tonight we're going to be talking about family. And we're going to be talking about family in a little, probably in a little bit of a different way. Hopefully it'll be a very practical uh, lesson tonight. We'll be looking at the scripture, but also drawing and extrapolating some really two, main, two major components, I think, that it's very necessary for us to be able to steward our families well. Now, right now, our kids are kind of in the age and stage where everything is sort of a competition. Uh, our daughter and our son are constantly playing together, and when they play together, they're always competing against one another. There's, they're trying to one-up each other, whether it's, uh, whether it's a video game or whether it's a game outside or whether it's uh, something they're trying to do as they're drawing pictures. Or Then most of the time, that generally ends in one or the other being very um, frustrated with each other. And I try to, um, at this point in time in their life, try to encourage them and try to help them understand, hey, we are a family, and as a family, we're a team. We don't, we're not supposed to be competing against each other. We're supposed to be working together as a team to accomplish something greater between each other. Who can ever forget Winston Churchill's uh, immortal words, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, and we shall fight in the hills. Sometimes that sounds a lot like World War II, sometimes a lot that sounds like our house, right? Our family, or maybe the family vacation, right? But today we're going to examine a few, I think, two major components that are essential, I believe, if we're going to um, handle, if we're going to steward the family that God has given us well. Now, I know that in, a, in an audience this size, there are people on many different places when it comes to family. Sometimes when you think of family, it might bring back uh, a, a sweetness, uh, almost a, um, a wonderful feeling in your heart. There may be some people in here that when you say the word family, it brings back very negative feelings, maybe some, maybe some hurts, some past things that you may even still be dealing with to this day. And there are different people in different parts of your life, some with young children, maybe some who don't have children, maybe some your children have grown up and moved on. Maybe some of you are in the uh, latter stages of life where your, your grandparents or great-grandparents, or maybe even, I don't know, do we have any great-great-grandparents in here today? But there may be, there may, may be very different people in this, um, in this auditorium today. But I want to encourage you that today, although primarily our focus will be on those who have children still in the home when it comes to stewarding our family. There is still a role to play for each and every person in here today when it comes to stewarding family. Psalm chapter 24 kind of uh, opens up the scene, if you will. I mentioned that family is not generally the first thing that we think of when we think of stewarding. Usually we come to mind, we think of the th things that we've already talked about so far, the word of God. Perhaps when you think of stewarding, you think of, of finances. Maybe you think of your uh, spiritual gifting. Uh, maybe you might think of maybe your time. Um, usually it's the three T's, right? Time, talents, and treasure. But tonight we're going to be kind of looking at, uh, at it from a different angle. We're going to be looking at family. Psalm chapter 24, in the first verse of Psalm chapter 24, reads like this. It says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. The world, and what does it say? And they that dwell therein. <clears throat> Believe it or not, people 
belong to God as well. And some of the most important people that you will ever steward in your life are and is your family. And what I want us to see tonight is that every believer can steward their family well by implementing two important components into their family life. If you're taking notes tonight, we're going to try to go quickly and make sure we get you out on time tonight. But the first one is this. I would call it intentional stewardship. The very first component that's very important when it comes to stewarding your family well is intentionality. Webster defines intentional as this, intended, designed, done with design or purpose. Ephesians God give, in Ephesians, God gives us uh, really a, uh, a plan for intentionality. Ephesians chapter four, uh, 6, verse 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You see, it is our goal as believers, as Christian parents, to not just raise good kids, but to raise godly kids. But the reality is today, and according to statistics, even way back as in 2007, most reports are telling us that believing families, only about 10% of them are actually going home and purposely having intentional conversations with their children about spiritual topics. That means that for the overwhelming majority of families that come and would say they're believers and come to church, most of the time they'll come to church, they'll worship many times in separate places, go home, have uh, lunch, Uh, and then break off into their separate groups and never once talk about what they learned or what they experienced or what they're learning spiritually, whether it be parents to children or children to parents. They'll go to church, but there'll be no sharing, no discussions, and very little religious uh, talk at all around the dinner table or in their homes. But I am afraid that if we are not intentional, there is a danger The danger is highlighted in the Old Testament in Judges chapter 2. If you want, you can quickly turn there. But in Judges chapter 2, we see an unfortunate scenario. In Judges chapter 2, the people of Israel have uh, crossed into the promised land. They have been there, uh, have gone through um, following God across the Jordan. They have gone through and uh, uh, taken Jericho and many different places. Sorry, this is Judges chapter 2, not Joshua. Judges chapter 2. The people have um, enjoyed the blessings of God. He has provided for them a nation and a place. And their people are all gathered together. It says in Judges chapter 2, verse 7, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. Uh, Skip over to verse verse 9. It says, And also all the generation that were gathered unto their fathers. Uh, Sorry, that's verse 10. And also the generation that were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Verse 13 says, They forsook the Lord and served Baal. And Ashtaroth. You see, there's a great danger if there is not intentionality in having the spiritual discussions and passing on the faith and the legacy that you have to your children and children's children. 
It is sometimes exemplified in this scenario where the first generation experiences God. They know about God and they experience him and they have seen all of the benefits of serving the living God in their family. But the second generation grows and they learn to know about God. They hear the stories, but they never personally experience the goodness of God in their life. The intentional uh, um, reality is, is that without being intentional, uh, uh, parents don't transfer on, the only thing they transfer on is knowledge. They never transfer on the experiences of with him. And then by the third generation, the third generation neither knows God nor experiences him. So the reality is, is that if we are not intentional here tonight, the truth is, is that your grandchildren may not serve God. It's a harsh and sobering reality. But the greatest chance for your grandchildren to serve God in here tonight is if you take the challenge to be intentional when it comes to stewarding your family, especially your children. Proverbs chapter 22. If you want to turn there, I told you we're going to be doing lots of turning tonight. Proverbs chapter 22. A very well-known scripture when it comes to raising children. An excellent promise and piece of wisdom in God's word. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says this. Train up a child and the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You see, we tend to focus a lot of times when we think about this verse and the promises of it, we tend to focus on the latter half, those promises. We cross our fingers and we hope, man, I hope that my kid does one day come back or, well, it will not depart from the things that we've taught him. But the truth is when it comes to intentionality, we need to focus not just on the latter half of this verse, but on the first part of the verse, the training up a child in the way he should go. Because the thing is, training doesn't happen by accident nor does it happen by proxy. We must be intentional when it comes to training up our children and making disciples of our children. In today's culture, if you're a family with children under 12 in the home, intentional isn't generally the word that describes you. If you're like us, sometimes the word that describes you is distracted. We have an enemy who seeks to distract our families and our families especially who are raising young children. But still, we must take up the call to be intentional, to nurture, uh, to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to train up them in the way they should go. We must prioritize being intentional. So I want to give you three thoughts when it comes to being intentional. What are some very practical ways that you can be intentional as a parent when it comes to raising up your children? The first idea is this, cultivating a vision. Cultivating a vision specifically for forming a faith pathway for your children. What do I mean by that? <clears throat> well, let me ask you this. What is your dream for your child when it comes to spiritual things? I don't mean what do you hope that they one day grow up to be. I don't mean what do you uh, hope that your child will accomplish in their lifetime. I don't mean how much do you think that they'll uh, be able to afford or, or, or what kind of 401k they'll have or what kind of career path they have. What is your dream for your child when it comes to their spiritual, the spiritual aspects of their life? Who do you want your child to become? What values do you want your children to have? What things do you want them to prioritize in their life? Have you ever thought specifically, what do I want my child to look like when they're 25 years old, when they're 35 years old? One of the ways that you can help be intentional 
when it comes to raising your kids, or if you're a grandparent raising grandkids in, in today's culture, is this. Write it down. Write down the goals. Write down the dream. Articulate it. The old adage that says, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. The same is true when it comes to raising your children. If you have no dream, if you haven't articulated any sort of pathway in what you think your children or how you're trying to steer your children to become, truth is, probably won't be steered by you. They'll be steered by somebody else. Help your kids seek a God-centered faith. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 23, the Bible recounts a young king, the King Josiah, who was eight years old when he began to reign. And the Bible says in verse 23, or chapter 23, verse 25 about him, And like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Neither after him arose there any like him. My hopes and dreams are that my children will one day be those who turn to the Lord their God with their all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. But it will not happen on purpose. We must have a plan. Cultivating a vision to forming a faith pathway for your children is not something to be taken lightly. And if it's something you haven't done, you don't have to wait. You can start now. You say, well, wait a minute, my kids are already beginning to be grown. It doesn't matter. Start now. Begin to think, how is it that we can train our children? What can we do now to be able to make an impact in their lives, to mold them, to help shape them into the people that we, want, we know we, that God wants them to be? Now, I'm excited uh, to be able to share with you in the coming months, our church is going to be able to provide some resources for families, specifically in this area, to help them not only know where they are in forming this faith pathway, but be able to resource them and be able to help, to help them to take steps with their children, whether they be young or uh, middle-aged children or entering into, the, entering into their teen years. Uh, we're excited to be able to resource, that, uh, resource uh, our families in this way. But you don't have to wait for those resources to roll out. You can start now. Think through, what are the habits? What are the values? What are the beliefs that we want our children to grab a hold of and to carry into the next generation? What are the habits, values, and beliefs that we want our grandchildren to have? And start with a vision. The second way you can prioritize being intentional is to calendar your time. Now, we've already talked about this, but the number one resource you have with your children is time. And guess what? Every day, it's ticking down. It's encouraging news tonight, isn't it? If you have children in your home tonight, the, the clock is ticking until one day they will move out of your home. Or if God allows them to, they will marry and have children of their own. How you disciple your children is in direct correlation to the time that you spend with them. And I want to let you know today that you don't have to feel the pressure of filling up your calendar with all kinds of, uh, of, of purposed, um, highly intense, purposeful conversations. There needs to be a mixture. Sometimes you can just have a casual or impromptu conversations with your children. Sometimes it's okay to just be able to look at something and say, hey, what do you think about that? Or what does the scripture say about that? Casual, impromptu conversations are a good way to be able to transfer some of your faith and values to your children. 
Although it is important to have scheduled informal times. There are times as a parent you need to sit down with your child and have some important conversations just to make sure that they understand what the Bible teaches on specific issues, especially in the culture that we live in. There are times where you need to sit down and talk through major issues and be very straightforward with them. Casual, informal, scheduled, formal, and also purposeful and inspirational times. I think it's important for parents to be able to talk with their children about the future and to challenge them and inspire them to say, what could you be like if you were to choose this path for your life? How will the world change around you if you were to hold on to godly values? Like I mentioned today, there are families of all different, uh, with children all, in all different ages and stages. And I would say this, you might be asking, where, where, what should I do? What, what should I do right now? And I want to tell you that just like sports, the clock determines the play. If you have children who are just about ready to leave your home, I would say it's not time for a huddle. It's time for a Hail Mary. For some of you who might have young children in the home, maybe it's time to formulate and get a plan, to take some time to step back and think, what can we do and what kind of trajectory can we send our kids on before they begin to be filled with the things of this world? I would say the clock really determines the play when it comes to your child. The third way I would think that we could prioritize tonight are being intentional in raising a children in the way they should go is creating a circle or what I would call creating a circle of relationships. There are many people who will influence your child throughout their lifetime. Have you ever thought about your child's circle of influence right now? Because influence over time equals life change. Who is speaking into your child's life right now? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? What family members are talking into their life? Maybe it's a babysitter. Maybe it's teachers. Maybe it's coaches or friends. Maybe it's friends, parents, or church leaders. Maybe it could even be your employers. I would also encourage you, don't forget the technology aspect. That there are many people speaking, and it could be speaking into your child's life through the technology that they use. But you need to stop and think about, who is it that I am allowing into my child's life to speak into their life? Because this influence that they have over them, over time, will create change in your child. What I hope to do and what I would challenge you to do is create what I would call a home team. And you know where is a great place to find some people for your home team? The local church. Think through the ages and stages of where your child is. I was lucky enough to have a church that was that for me. Um, I grew up in a, uh, a, a family that uh, dad was never around. And uh, my grandparents were very influential in bringing me to church. And week after week, I was able to be around godly men and godly women. In fact, there was one point in time where I would go oftentimes with my grandparents' Sunday school class, which is kind of like uh, the primetime class, about the primetime age. I was a young man in middle school at that time. But it was great to be able to sit around a table with a bunch of Uh, can I say older folks? Uh, And they were wonderful to me. They were wonderful in encouraging me and encouraging me in the Lord and showing me that there was more to life than just the the, the, the emotional trappings of middle school, that they began to give me a, a solid foundation to stand on to see that God can work and that you can continue to have a faith well into your uh, prime time of life. But think through, who is 
Who are you allowing to invest and influence your child? Create a home team that can come around them in different ages and stages of their life. Doing these three things, cultivating a vision for where you'd want your children to be when they're 25, 35. Calendaring your time to make sure that you prioritize your children and their faith journey. And then circling them around with a home team of people who are believers. These are three great ways for you to be able to be intentional in raising your children in godliness. Second point as we move on tonight is the idea of uh, integrational living. Integrational living. If you have your copy of your scriptures, we're going to turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Actually, let's go to Psalm chapter 127 first. Back into the Psalms. Psalm chapter 127. We'll get there in just a moment. The Western model, unfortunately, when it comes to the family, has been one that models a lot more like the assembly line than anything else. The Western family is fractured and split apart. Since the Industrial Revolution and the post-war boom of the 1950s after World War II, you and I have really been born into what I would call an experiment called the nuclear family. But you see, before the Industrial Revolution of the 1800s and 1700s, the average family was around 12 in the home. Can you believe it? 12 people in the home. And often included extended family, which helped bridge the barriers sometimes in families where a parent was lost or a marriage that failed. The home was the center of business and family functioned together as producers. But after this industrial revolution and this post-war boom, the new standard of living produced a home that no longer uh, related to that number. It went to five and now... The average family is about three. The revolution and this economic boom were two key factors that changed the American family forever. The classic, honey, I'm home, the leave it to beaver, or as you see here, the classic family of dad and mom and the 2.5 kids. The ideal household in the 1950s. Sadly, that ideal household only lasted about 15 years into the mid-70s. Where growing inflation, the sexual revolution, and hyper-individualism all but destroyed the stability of the nuclear home in America. The home is no longer a place of production. Today, the home is a place of consumption. You might say, well, that sounds very sociological. It sounds very interesting, Corey, but where are you going with this? Well, I want to tell you today that the reality is, is that the Western home that we live in and that we are surrounded by in our neighborhoods and in the suburbs is that is a, is a, is a, is a, is a, a view of family that's very far from what scripture pictures for us the view of family many times in today in our culture is that the home is no more than a springboard for the individual's success of each family member and that the individuals are believed to be the most important part of the family and although at one time the family was the pathway for dreams to come true. Today, the reality is, is that the Western home, many times, people are upset at each other inside the nuclear family because we believe those people, those people in our family are standing in the way of our goals. Today, in 2024, the truth is, is that the family has become the enemy of the individual. 
And that's a dangerous exploit to be at. This radical individualism that has taken over our culture in the context of family is actually having some very profound implications. Sociologists and cultural analysts say, put it this way, we are in the midst of a profound change in the American life. Demographically, socially, and culturally, the nation is shifting from a society of child-rearing families to a society of child-free adults. And you may have noticed this in some of your friends and in their families as well. The radicalization of this practice is perfectly demonstrated, I think, in a new category that is emerging in what we call the pet parent. Anybody familiar with the term pet parent? Now, I believe pets have a wonderful place in our family. Our family adopted a dog uh, about a year and a half ago, and we love him. We, we love having him as, as, uh, as part of our home. But the reality of the implications of this radical individualism isn't that people just like their pets more. The reality is, is that today there is a shift in culture in some of the young people, that dogs and cats are now replacing children in the home. Recent studies have shown us this, that 72% of childless millennial women explicitly state they prefer the company of their pet over the company of their children. And that 70% of child-free women view their pet as their child. What does this mean? This means that there is a growing number of young women in our Western culture that have bitten into the apple of radical individualism and have seen children as now no longer a pathway to happiness and family as a pathway of happiness, but rather as a stumbling block to their happiness as individuals. We have lost the biblical viewpoint as a culture of Psalms 127, verses 3 through 5, which says this, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb of his reward. As arrows in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed. They shall stand, they shall speak, uh, they, and they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Now, this isn't a condemnation of anybody in in, in our, in our uh, uh, a church tonight, or in our church family. If you have a, a pet and you love your pet like we do, that's great. But I want us tonight to that information not be a condemnation, but a revelation of the culture that we have been called to not be conformed into the image of by Romans chapter 12. You see, the Old Testament and much of the word of God shows us a different ideal of what family should be. The idea that we see in scripture is the idea of the multi-generational family, or what we would call the joint family. The dominating model of what would be the ancient Jewish families and even the families we see in the New Testament. The example of scripture shows us the picture of the family as the primary vehicle of God bringing his goodness into the world. We see it from the very beginning when God forms Eve for Adam and calls them into a union and tells them to be fruitful and to multiply. There they begin multi-generational leadership and ownership and stewardship of God's world, bringing dominion of God's world into the home. 
Then God kind of resets, if you will, a little bit with Noah. But Noah and his family is given a slightly different, but about the same command. To be fruitful, multiply, and to fill the earth with the goodness of God. Then, if you're in our Sunday school classes, we're... Abraham is given that specifically as a nation. Today we study that where Abram becomes Abraham, God changes his name and showing him that there is a greater picture, that he is going to not just be a father, but a father of nations, and that his multi-generational family will go on to bless not just the Jewish people, but every nation will be blessed through Abraham. And then we see Jesus who ushers in the New Testament family of God, which Pastor pointed out poignantly this morning as our family, the family of God, the local church. Consider the language of the Bible for just a moment. God is the Father. We are his children. We are co-heirs with Christ, familiar language. We're calling each other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, more family language. We've been adopted. In fact, when we are saved, we are born again into the family of God. There is an innate power in understanding God's design for the family. And I believe we see just a hint of this in our culture. Our culture tries to copy this and they try to paste it into other areas. You may have noticed this too as well. Oftentimes universities, workplaces, sports teams like to use the family language. They say, welcome to the Blank family, right? Maybe you've been accepted into a university or a club. Welcome to the fill-in-the-blank family. Why do they use that kind of language? Well, there's an innate power to multi-generational families. That's not by accident. It's by design. It's the way that God designed the family to operate. But today, we face more real challenges than ever before when it comes to being integrational. That was a long way to loop around, but back to the idea of being integrational. There are a lot of different challenges, a lot of real challenges today for parents who have children to live their life built together, integrated together, because there's a lot of our culture that is trying to pull the family apart. Things like technology, You know, it's amazing that for the first time in probably forever, a family can all be in one room and be completely separated from each other. How so? Now, that doesn't mean that technology or phones are a bad thing. But used wrongly, it can pull your family apart. Technology has become the enemy of the family in many aspects. Our work and our work schedules have done the same thing. There are many families who, if they're not careful, the husband and wife will pass like ships in the night, going on and off to work, never seeing their kids, allowing their overloading, over, uh, overloaded workloads to follow them home and to take them away from their family when they should be spending time integrating with their family. Programs, things like sports, and other activities can often so busy our lives with practices and games that we don't spend time together as a family. So how do we implement integration into our family? Let me give you a few practical tidbits tonight. The first way we can implement integration into our family as we should is to build integration into your family life. Do things together is another way of saying it. 
What do you mean do things together? I mean do things together, even the most mundane things. You need to go wash your car? Don't go out and wash your car alone. Invite your kids to wash with you. See if God opens up opportunities to speak truth and speak God's word into their life. You're going to the post office? Yeah, all I gotta do is just deliver a package. Take a kid with you. Throw them in the back seat. Point out some things. Talk to each other. Spend time one another. One of the things I like to do uh, with our kids is we go on visitation a lot together. On Tuesday nights, we have visitation and we like to take our kids with us. They're able to go and knock on doors and say, hey, thanks for coming, dropping off a little bag. We do ministry together. That's one thing that you can do with your family. Include your children in your family choices, whether they be big or small. Where are we gonna go to dinner tonight? Ask your kids. What should we do with the little bit of extra money that we have? Ask your kids, you might be surprised. When you're talking about spiritual things, include your children. Hey, we're going to be giving to a special offering at church. What do you think we should do? Hey, we're going to be doing something at church. We're gonna be inviting our neighbors to Easter this year. Who do you think we should invite? Spiritual things, even non-spiritual things. Include your family in the choices that you make. Another way of building integration into your family is even building traditions, family traditions that your children are equal shareholders in. What do I mean by that? Well, planning family vacations together as a family, or maybe even celebrating holidays in very special ways, creating traditions, maybe even seasonal traditions that you can, you can enjoy with your family together. Don't forget that you're playing the long game. And thinking, and thinking through the decisions that we make, the little deposits that we're making in the mundane and in the everyday and in the seasonal and in the traditional things. Don't forget that you're playing the long game and that the little deposits that you're making throughout your kid's life will have great and large impacts in their life over time. Number two, as time allows, become a family with a mission. You see, every mission has an objective, the objective is defeat the enemy. Every organization out there can name their enemy. Apple might say it's Microsoft or Microsoft Apple. Coke might say Pepsi or Pepsi might say Coke. Ohio State would most likely say Michigan in Michigan, Ohio State. Every organization out there can name their enemy. And by naming their enemy, they rally around what they should be doing. If your family cannot name its enemy, what happens is generally this, infighting. We're seeing that exemplified, unfortunately, in our nation today. In his book, Tribe, Sebastian Younger, who is a, um, a sociologist and a war photographer, uh, recounts a story. And the story is the the turmoil that was, that was in Eastern Africa, where tribes were fighting and the he covered the brutality of the tribal warfare there. But there was a peace time. And as he began to interview a young lady who was a part of one of the tribes, she reluctantly was quoted to say this. Although she did not enjoy the bloodshed and the tribal warfare, she said she kind of missed it. Now, that's a strange thing to say. But the reality was this. When her tribe understood their enemy, they were rallying together and they were closer than ever before. The shared enemy brought their tribe together. I want to ask you today, what is your family's 
What is your tribe, your family's enemy? You might say, well, I, I don't quite understand. Well, let me, let me give you two areas to kind of think through this idea about. I'm going to illustrate this here. There are kind of two ways we can kind of think through what we would call family and mission. There's the general and then there's the specific. I think the general was given to us in Scripture. In the Old Testament, it was exemplified in calling families to have dominion over God's created universe. In the New Testament, it's been exemplified in the family of the local church, in getting the gospel, in claiming dominion, if you will, in the spiritual realm, in, uh, in God's created order. The particular, however, I think God blesses each family with specific talents, maybe even a specific place. Maybe God has even placed your family specifically in a place for a mission. I know he has with ours. There's three possibilities when we come to this idea of family and mission. And the first one I want to exemplify by saying this. Some people see family and mission as something completely separate. There's mission over here, and there's family over here. And sadly, we've seen this throughout um, our culture. Uh, when, I, when my wife and I served as missionaries, oftentimes we would see this um, not necessarily with the missionaries that we uh, were a part of, but there are other people who are missionaries on our field. And we would see this sometimes where the husband felt the call of God, but he never checked with the wife and the kids. And what happened is that he ended up dragging his family halfway across the world, sometimes uprooting kids out of their lives, bringing them to the mission field. And what happened is that there was a wife who hated being on the mission field and kids who despised the work of God on the mission field. Sometimes we've even heard of stories of many, many years past families doing that and they would take their kids and they would drop their kids in some sort of a, a home and they would visit them maybe once a year. And that's how that's the idea of family and mission, separated. Not a good thing. There are some great men of God um, uh, that I could mention tonight that uh, you might recognize their names. They did great things for God, but I think that they may have failed when it comes to home. One of those you might recognize is a man by the name of Billy Graham. Billy Graham, if you know his whole story, he was a great man of God and did great things. But many times, he failed at home. Billy Graham, actually because of his crusades, missed the birth of his first, his first child ever being born. That's a sad thing. In fact, one story goes like this, that he came home after being gone for so long on one of his evangel uh, evangelistic crusades that he pointed out a young lady in the driveway and asked his wife, who is this young girl in our driveway thinking maybe it belonged to one of his neighbors? And his wife said, that's your daughter. Now, I don't mean to drag Billy, names, Billy Graham's name through the mud. I think he was a great man of God, and God used him in many different ways. But I think Billy Graham may have got it wrong. When family and mission are something that is completely separate, oftentimes it ends in tragedy. There's also this, family as mission. This is exemplified sometimes in when we decide to make our family the only thing that we focus on, whether it be uh, taking control of education and, and, and 
uh, after-school events and all kinds of things. It's exemplified many times if, when we uh, center our, uh, our, all of our exploits, all of our uh, desires on making our family good and moral and nice, and we all want to represent God very well as a family. Well, all of those things are great. Oftentimes what happens is when your family becomes the only mission that you think about or care about, oftentimes it's very short-sighted. The families section off themselves many times from the world, withdraw from everything that has to do with the world, and the vision is very small. And the vision ends once the children get out of the home. What I wanted to picture for you tonight is the idea of what I would call family on mission. Family on mission. That's the idea that your family is integrated with the mission that God has given all of us as believers, and has given you specifically as a family. Every member of the family is a needed player on the team. Every single one of them have a call for God to work through them and through your family to bless the nations and to declare his name to the generation. It's a way for you as parents to get your kids in the game, get them off the bench, And for parents, specifically, let me say this. If you don't give a spot on your team for your kids, they'll go somewhere else to find a spot on a team. Right now, my wife and I are working through what I call a scouting report. Scouting report is looking through your child's inventory of their life. What are their greatest greatest challenges? What are their greatest uh, uh, loves? What, What inspires them? What are their greatest challenges? What sets them off? What sets them on edge? Finding how your children work, how they tick, and finding where's the best place for them to play. What position can they play on your team in accomplishing the mission that God has called your family to? Third point, and we'll be done. Bridging what I, the, the third way we can implement, or the third way we can implement integration into our families is to Bridge sacred rhythms and family systems. If you have your scriptures still open, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is where we'll end tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 6 gives us great insight into what we call the great Shema. This was God's plan for the people of God in transferring their faith to the next generation. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. It says this, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk with them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest in the, by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. You see, many times today, even thinking about through this, some people might be a little bit on edge. You say, we're already so busy, Pastor. You're, you're telling me that I have to like create all these new things and all these new experiences for my child to, uh, to, to, be, to, be, to, be, to be discipled? And that's exactly the opposite of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you need to utilize the time that you already have to make a difference in your child's life. You see, that was God's plan for the people of God. That they weren't supposed to just have these special times where they talk about God on Sundays or on Wednesdays and then we don't talk about God the rest of our life. God's plan was for, was for parents to talk to their children about spiritual things at every waking moment. Whether they're rising, whether they're sitting, whether they're walking, whether they're in their home or outside their home. 
we can utilize, we can redeem the, the systems that we already have in place to create rhythms in life that will help us be able to teach our children the things of God. I'm not saying add new events. I'm saying integrate with the events you already have. Let me give you some examples. Maybe turning dinner time into spiritual conversation time. Rather than just having a meal together and talking about the day, weave in some spiritual discussion. What is it that you're learning? Share with them what you're learning from your own time in the word of God. Maybe bedtime as prayer time and scripture memory time. Being able to dig into the word of God or memorize a portion of scripture. We give one to you weekly in this service. Maybe a family devotion time where once a week you gather together and you have time opening up the word of God and sharing it with your family. Maybe turning rides to school into question and answer time or rides to the bank or rides to the ball field. Instead of silence or listening to music, ask them some questions or have them ask you some questions. Serve together. There's one thing I loved doing when I was a young man and actually one of the most unique and memorable times I've ever had with my grandfather. My grandfather was kind of like my spiritual father in a sense. And one of the most, um, one of the most uh, well-remembered uh, memories I have of my grandfather was our church every uh, Thanksgiving, we used, to get, we used to buy turkeys and we'd ask the, fam- the church family to bring in uh, cans of food and things of vegetables and we would make these boxes for the, the, the needy and the less uh, fortunate in our church and uh, people that our church was connected with. And I remember one time my grandfather and I went up, we picked up one of these boxes and we drove to a part of town that, I knew that we probably had no business being in, if you kind of catch my drift. We didn't fit in very well in that part of town. It was a rough part of town. And I remember stopping by in front of this house. It was the address that we were given. We took that basket of food and we brought it up to the door. And as we knocked on the door, this family answered. And they looked different than we did. But my grandfather and I remember watching him hand this basket to them and then breaking down in tears. And we were able to then, then share the word of God with them and the gospel with them. And I remember going home thinking, wow. Watching my grandfather and being able to experience that, serving him together, still is a memory I cherish today. I believe prioritizing these sacred rhythms over secular pursuits is sometimes the choice that we must make. Sometimes we have to not just integrate into what we're doing, But maybe for this to actually work in our life, we have to remove some of the secular pursuits that we have. That's a whole whole other topic. So what do we do tonight? As I mentioned, there's different groups in here. Well, I want to say, first of all, if you're a parent who has children in the home or you're expecting children in the home soon, I want to encourage you to steward your children well. And by doing so, by being intentional about how you raise your children and integrational in weaving in the God of the Bible and the truth of the word of God into your homes and and rhythms, you can steward your family well. But for those of you in here, maybe you're older, maybe your children have grown up and gone, maybe you're in the uh, grandparent phase of life, or maybe you never had children. 
what I want to encourage you to take away from this lesson tonight is that you can be influential in someone else's life. You can be someone who stands on the sidelines and cheers on maybe your kids or grandkids or another family in, your, in this church. Pastor mentioned the idea of, uh, of, of being a spiritual aunts and uncles this morning. You can be that to somebody. Maybe there's a family, a single parent family in, here, in our church who could use a, a, a family to come alongside of them and encourage them or a younger family who could really use that encouragement. Maybe their family is far from God or far from here. They could use that help. Maybe there's some people in here who are are married or or they're single and you don't have children. And what I want you to take away from this lesson is the truth of the word of God is something that is worthy to be championed. And you can be someone who champions the truth of the word of God and also someone who can be prepared. Maybe one day God will give you some children of your own And you can steward them well by being intentional and being integrational with God's word. Would you bow your heads with me?